Bible, power it on and turn to Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. We're going to look at 12 verses this morning. Some of you, you know the story. It's Jesus on the sea. He's going to calm the storm. Peter's going to walk on water. He's going to fail. Jesus is going to have to save him. You've heard the story, some of you, before. But by the very end of it, we're going to get to the theme passage for this teaching series. We've saved it for the end rather than the beginning of this message. Instead, I want to look at Matthew 14 and the story of Jesus and the disciples out on the water. Here we go, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Right before this, Jesus had taken a few fish and some Pop-Tarts, and he fed 5,000 people with it. It was nuts. People are talking about it. And he sends the disciples away on a boat to the other side of the sea, and then he hangs out for a little bit. And what is it that he's doing in verse 23? After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. We're going to talk about that. Verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in what? In fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. And in his best Shakespearean accent, he says, it is I. That's a weird phrase to say. Why did he say it that way? He goes on, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And this is important for some of you this morning. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we pause in this moment. And first, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in the room with us right now. God, teach us about fear. Teach us through Matthew 14. But even bigger than that, God, teach us how to follow you better, what it means to be your child. We love you, and we surrender this moment and this morning to you. Thank you for these wonderful people. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. When was Jesus afraid? Can you think of a time when Jesus was afraid? Now, my mind instantly goes to the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus is going to go to the cross, he is going to be betrayed by Judas, and he's there praying. He knows what's about to occur, and he says, take this cup from me. He's praying to his father. Like, he, he surely knew the temptation of fear. But the temptation alone is not what defines us. Our response often does. Right after he says, take this cup from me, he says, but let thy will be done. He was always about the works of his father first. And like, I, I watch and read in the New Testament the life and the death of Jesus, and the way he experienced it all, and I just think I could never do it, right? Like, he had to have been the most chilled dude ever. Think about it. Like, he's about to be betrayed, and they're gonna, soldiers are going to take him away, and it, it, Peter comes out and brings the sword, chops off Malchus's ear, and what does Jesus tell him to do? Oh, don't save me. 
put the sword away. I didn't come to bring the sword. It's like, it's going to be cool, Peter. Just chill out for a second. Now, don't mistake that his chilled persona is a lack of passion or intensity, but actually the opposite. Because he is so passionately in love with his heavenly father, he has this peaceful demeanor when he faces the most unthinkable scenarios. Jesus knew the temptation of fear, and yet he never seems to get completely afraid. I mean, even like when they take him away, and they take him to Herod, and, and they go to the, before the high priest, and then they take him to, to Pilate, and he's questioned there, and then he goes back to Herod, he's questioned again. And it's almost as they question him about who he is, rather than doing what I would do, right? Like if you're in that situation, and they're about to kill you, wouldn't you just go, oh, those last three years, I didn't mean any of those things I said. I was just kidding, I was, you know, I was laughing about it with the friends later, but he doesn't do any of that. It's almost in those moments, it's like he's smarting off to Pilate and, and the high priest. Go back and read those passages because he just had this like peaceful demeanor that everything was going to be okay. I don't know what that's like to experience Because for most of us, we live and we make our decisions based off of fear all the time. You do it, I do it. I remember as a young kid, man, anybody grow up and your parents used to make you take out the trash? Anybody? All of you had lazy parents? No? Okay, yeah, so yeah, all right. All right, at my house, I grew up, you'd probably call it the country, in a small town, and we had a detached garage that was about 20 to 30 feet from the house. So I'd always wait to the last second to take the trash out, and it'd always be nighttime because they're going to get the trash first thing in the morning. So I'd take the trash bag, and there would be this, this little scenario that would get played out where I knew that once in the middle of the dark, in the middle of nowhere, when I would walk out to the garage, all of the bad people of the world were just waiting out there to take me away forever, Right? <laughs> you do this too. And so you look out there and like you peer out or the, where are the bad people? You know you're not going to be able to see them, but they're waiting and that's why they're bad because they're like hiding. And then you, you take the trash. This is what I used to do. I'd open the door and I'd throw the thing open. And then I would take off running as fast as I could, the 20 to 30 feet to the detached garage where I would open the door, run inside, throw the trash in there. Because you know the bad people are also waiting in the garage for you. So you got to hurry up and get out of there before they realize that you're in there. You throw the trash in there. And then you take off running back to them before they're going to pounce on you. And then here is the worst, scariest part. Right when you get to the door and you're running full speed, you got to hop up like this because you just know the bad people are waiting there to cut your Achilles tendon, baby. And they're going to take you away forever. That's what fear does to you, doesn't it? You make crazy choices. You make poor decisions. And yet, Christians, all the time, we know the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. The scriptures teach, as we'll share later, that you are his child, an adopted son or daughter. And we make all of our decisions, most of the time, based off of fear. Fear of what's going to happen if we don't helicopter around our child and protect them because we don't want them to get into drugs and we don't want them to hang out with the wrong people and I'm afraid what's going to happen. We're fearful about our financial situations and so rather than turning to God and saying, what should I do in this scenario, we make decisions based off of fear. I I don't have enough money. I'm never going to have enough, so i got to go fix this problem. 
And we find ourselves, too many of us, live as slaves of fear. We make our career choices based off of it. We parent our kids with fear. Don't miss next Sunday. Pastor Darren's going to be here and he's going to talk about parenting out of fear. Whether you're the parent or you're the child, you're not going to want to miss next Sunday. Some of us, we go from relationship to relationship based off of fear. Some of us, we date out of fear of being alone. Some of us, we get married out of fear of being alone. Some of us who are married will leave our spouse or cheat because we are afraid of trying to fix the issues we have in our relationship. You see, fear is always easier. That's why it's so tempting to be afraid and to give in to that. And yet Jesus didn't seem to do that. Fear too often dictates our lives and it must stop. It is impossible to follow Jesus and be a fear-filled person. In fact, to be a fear-filled Christian is an oxymoron. It's impossible. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the only thing you are to fear is what? God. You have a reverence for him, you fear him, and nothing else because he's on your side. That's what I want to talk about this morning. And so really quickly, through Matthew chapter 14, if you're taking notes, I want to talk, give you four points on why you are not a slave to fear. Why you are not a slave to fear. You ready to do this together? Here we go. The first point I want to make is this. You're never alone. Did you catch what Jesus did at the very beginning? See, some of us, we're afraid of things because we feel like we're all alone. Yet Jesus, in this moment, verse 22 Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side and just dismiss the crowd. So he's all alone, right? Verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside. Remember, Thomas, Thomas Edison's not around. They have no light bulbs anywhere. He's up on a mountainside at night by himself. It says, by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there all alone. I've been terrified. And yet Jesus seems to do this a lot. Like when he's facing scenarios, he always seems to sneak away and spend time praying to his heavenly father, hearing from him, studying his word. I just uh, saw my wife and I were moving some things and I, I found my grandmother's Bible from 1945 that she had kept. It was a gift at a funeral. And just she'd always kind of protected this thing. And I knew that my grandmother opened that thing up and studied God's word and learned and heard from him. And she lived it out. She was diagnosed with rheumatic arthritis at the age of 19. 19. And her bones became so brittle because of the medication at the end of her life. It's kind of crazy to think about that her, her neck actually broke just from the weight of her, her head. And I don't know, I couldn't have endured that life. My grandmother had this contentment that everything was going to be okay through it all. And I think it's largely because she knew that she wasn't alone. She poured into that Bible and heard from God and went to church on a regular basis, not because it was an obligation, but because she desired to connect with God and connect with other Christians living on mission. You're never alone. If you are a Christian, you are never alone. Jesus went and he got away to spend time with his heavenly father. He could be on the mountainside praying alone in the dark, and he's not scared because he knows his heavenly father is there with him. If you struggle with fear, uh, not necessarily. There, a lot of people have had traumatic experiences. I get that. I'm not belittling any of that. 
And the church will pay for the first four hours of counseling if you need to go to that. And if you need more financial resources to do that, we'll help you. We are serious about getting you connected with Christian counselors that love the Lord. And we want to see people find healing and freedom. But I'll tell you, I've met a lot of people that if you are, find yourself fearful a lot, you probably aren't connecting with God through prayer and scripture on a regular basis. I find that in my life. And I begin to make choices out of fear rather than experiencing God more in my life. It changes the way I interact. In fact, I can remember um, the first time I really experienced this, I was 19 years old. And I was supposed to be in a play. And I had just become a Christian, literally like a week ago. And I, I got up to perform. I was Banquo in Macbeth. And some of you know that you've been around a while. Anytime I mention that I was Banquo in Macbeth, I like to recite the lines from Banquo in Macbeth. Would you like to hear me recite my lines at the 1025 service this morning? I got a lot of no's at the 9 a.m. service. And I blew the lines because I was nervous then. So... It goes like this. How far is the call to forays? What are these? So withered and so wild in their attire? You look not like the inhabitants of the earth, and yet don't live thee? Or are you out that man may question? You seem to understand me by each at once, your choppy finger laying upon your skinny lips. You should be women, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. That's all I got right there. Thank you. I won't do it again for about 12 months. I, I remember that distinctly. I'm getting ready to go out and do those very lines. And as a 19-year-old, I, I was super nervous and afraid. And I just prayed, God, could you help me and just give me a peace right now? And you may think that God doesn't care about some of those little things. He's got a lot bigger things to handle than like Banquo's lines in Macbeth. But I prayed in that moment, and I think it was a teachable moment. I always remembered it as I went out, and it was just like all of a sudden I just felt a peace. And whether this went well or not, I was going to be okay. That's what it's like knowing Jesus Christ, that you are never alone. He could be in the mountainside by himself. He knew he was not alone. Number two, you are not defined by your environment. See, some of you, you're like, you're going to go into work and everybody there is kind of not good people. And so you're going to be tempted out of fear that you're going to have to be a not good person there. And you're going to be defined by your environment when other parents start screaming at the sports games like me, you will have that fear that I've got to participate. And yet the life of a Christian and the way that Jesus lived was that he was not defined by his environment. Look at verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted, that means like hit a bunch, by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And the disciples in this passage are about to get afraid. And they're going to allow the environment they find themselves in to cause them to make poor decisions. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. Now, before you think, well, if that was Jesus, I wouldn't be afraid. No, 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 no. Just a second. You're on like this rickety little old boat out there with waves buffeting. It's the middle of the night. Your captain, Jesus, hasn't been around. There's all kinds of wind that is hitting you. And then you see a ghost and you're like, but I'm a Christian, so I wouldn't believe that was really. And then you begin to understand how fear brings doubt into your mind and your life. You see, in that culture, it was a pagan belief that the spirits or ghosts lived in the sea. 
So when they see Jesus walking, they begin to think, oh, the pagans were right. This ghost, the spirit has come up from the sea, the wind, we're all going to die. And instead, it turns out to be Jesus. And they began to get defined by their environment. It's so tempting and so easy to do. They cried out at the end of verse 26. It says that they cried out in what? In fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. This weird phrase, it is I, kind of a, sounds like Shakespeare. But most scholars that I read up on thought that might be deliberate, that this whole passage really, if you look at the end in verse 33, that they are worshiping him as the son of God and only God deserves our worship, correct? And in this moment, he uses this phrase, it is I, reminiscent of the old. Remember, these were Jewish Israelites. They, they would have remembered Exodus and the great I am statements. You remember the I am statements from the book of Exodus where the burning bush occurs and he says, I am that I am. It becomes the phrase that marks the name of God, which we know today is Yahweh. But you did not speak that out loud. You only wrote it and you didn't even write the the, you only wrote the consonants, not the vowels, as you wrote it. It was very particular. And so in this instant, he tells them, take courage. And he uses this phrase that reminds them of who he truly is. And by the end, they will be worshiping him. That you're not defined by your environment when you know almighty God and you are never alone. So Peter here responds to that. And he's going to take a leap of faith. He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Be honest. You'd have been scared to death. You'd have never thought it was possible. Ghosts coming at us. We got waves. We got wind. And here one man has the courage to face the storm and not be afraid. Some of you, you live out of fear that you're going to get fired. You live out of fear that somebody is going to cheat on you or that your kids are going to get into bad scenarios or drugs or some of you are afraid that you're never going to be happy again. Not making light of fear, but the reality is when fear dictates those decisions in your life, you have been enslaved to it. And at least the scriptures that I've read this morning and will read teach very clearly that there is now no fear for those who are Christians other than God himself. To be a fear-filled Christian is an oxymoron. He says, it's I, the great I am is here. You're going to be okay. Number three, you'll never walk on water though if you don't get out of the boat. John Ortberg was famous for saying this. It's a great statement because we often talk about Peter's failure here, but Peter was the only human being ever in the history of the world other than Jesus to walk on water. That's cool, isn't it? Like if I was Peter and we get to heaven, I'd be bragging about that all the time. Like, do you see it? You didn't do that. I totally did that. And yet here in this instance, he is doing something a little bit different. He's going to attempt to walk on water to get out of the boat. Verse 29, come, he said, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. See, here's the thing. It's not telling you that if you begin to follow Jesus, you say, I'm not going to live by fear. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do what God, obedient to him first, that everything is going to be perfect in your life. And in that moment, Peter gets tempted again, and he gives in to the fear that's, all, that's surrounding him, and he gets discouraged. You've been there. But he does the most important thing. 
He cries out to the one who saves, and he says, Lord, save me. You never thought about that, have you? Peter ends up being fine by the end of this. He doesn't get hurt. He's totally fine. He's going to get back on the boat. Life's going to be good. He's going to follow Jesus, but he got to walk on water. You'll never walk on water if you don't get out of the boat and trust that he's going to save you. You have the greatest safety net in the world. It's why we dream God-sized dreams as a church. I believe for us as Christians in our families, in our outposts, us as a church, the greater church throughout Indiana and around the world, that we should all dream God-sized dreams and believe that God's best version of our lives is actually what could be lived out and enacted. And one of the greatest things that keeps us, the obstacle that keeps us from experiencing that is fear. We're afraid, what if, what if, what if, what if I step out and he doesn't show up? What if I do it and it ends up turning out bad for me? What if it hurts me financially? I work so hard for that money. What if, what if, what if? You've been there, but Peter gets to walk on water. He experiences God. And I want to tell you, we are not a church that lives by that fear. In fact, uh, we started a church planting network called Multiply Indiana. You can go to multiplyindiana.com and you can check it out. We have a vision with now there are four churches involved in this, and we're going to be adding more to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches throughout the state of Indiana, a complementary network that works with national and global networks around the world to plant churches in Indiana. We believe it's a calling. And so this uh, year, our end of year giving, every year our end of year giving uh, campaign, above and beyond our regular gifts and tithes and offerings, we give 100% of that away. And this year, we're going to give it away to plant new churches. 100% of it will go to church planting. It will actually go to a brand new church plant through the Multiply Initiative. And we've set this insane goal this year. I, said, I mentioned it last week. I'm sharing some details this week. We're going to have some stuff for you to take home next week that we want to raise $100,000 in end-of-year gifts to plant new churches, to jumpstart Multiply Indiana and see this actually occur. It seems crazy. It seems insane. We've seen God do more. It's going to require some of us to go, hey, I want to create a matching grant. I'm going to make a donation so that other people can match it. Some of it's going to be like, I'm going to have to put some things off so I can actually see this occur because it's worth it. The fastest form of evangelism for the last 2,000 years is new churches. It forces us to go out, find people who don't know Jesus or don't have a church home and say, hey, you want to start a church with me? Let me tell you about Christ. We saw that's how this church got started. And too often we look at the wrong statistics. We look at the failure rates. And yes, 80% of church plants fail. But we should be looking at how many new Christians there are. And it is not comparable. There are more new Christians that come from church planting than any other way of doing mission. And so we are going to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. We planted Hope City Church just about six or seven weeks ago. They're doing fantastic They really are. Uh, Right over here in Carmel at the Ritz-Charles, had 350 at their launch, we had about 200 people reaching people that we weren't reaching. That's how multiplication works. And so we want to plant more churches. And so I'm excited to share with you that in 2017, we'll be planting at least two, if not three new churches. One of the church planters we just signed with is Echo Church, which will be launching next fall, probably a little later in the fall, Chad and Katie Lunsford. Uh, Chad is the campus and teaching pastor at Pine Lake Church in Mississippi. It's the largest church in Mississippi. He's from Indiana. They'll be moving back here to start a church. In in March, they'll be moving here. 
I emailed him and excited for all that God is doing uh, through that. That's coming. We also will be planting at least one more, if not two more new churches all through your generosity here at the end of the year. And we can't wait to see how God uses it. Here's the best part of that. This, we would not be here today if people lived by fear instead of dreaming God-sized dreams for what he could do. We would not be here. We would not have seen you all raise over $700,000 for the down payment and the renovation of this facility right here. Some of you, you uh, took out second mortgages on your homes so that God could actually see this fulfilled. I'm excited to share with you, we paid all of them back six months ago, uh, six months ahead of schedule because God has uh, uh, sustained everything that he set out to do. That there are people today who now know Jesus Christ who did not know it a year ago because people would not live by fear. I got to baptize my friend and I saw Dave here earlier, Dave Rothenberg right over here in this tank last week and uh, two years ago he was not a Christian and today he is. That's what matters. That the multiplying effect of knowing Jesus Christ and sharing with others, it does not stop. We will not live and be dictated by fear. Fear is easier but Christ is more compelling. And why it's so important, it wasn't just that moment of coming to this building. It took some crazy people when there was 100-some people at Clay Middle School that renovated this little building on College Avenue where we reached a lot of people for Christ. And even before that, there was like 10 people that joined the church when we first started meeting in our homes that were crazy enough to really believe that a church would exist someday and that we could see Jesus Christ reach more people. It happens when we live by faith, when we live out of Christ's love and not out of fear. And the best part of it, guys, the best part of it, when you experience it, it's incredible. Some of you know the story, but when my wife and I, we moved here in the first six months, we had a child. His name was Jackson. He had a genetic disorder and he died two weeks after birth. It was devastating and we're asking, why God? I know fear. I know what that's like. On the back side of it, I also know the humility that God brings with that and the teachability that when your life is completely out of control, only he is the one that can say everything's going to be okay and walk with you every step of the way. And that out of that, we actually saw the church that he called us to plant occur and new Christians follow Jesus and them reach new Christians that follow Jesus. That's how it works. And we actually closed on the purchase of this facility four years to the day of my son Jackson's birth when we were asking all these questions of God. Do not fear. Do not fear. Because the Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and everything in it that made the Red Sea part we talked about last week, made the sun stand still, aligned the stars in just such a way that on the day of Jesus' birth, they would know where he was. He can handle whatever you're facing. And if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, the scriptures clearly teach, number four, that you are a child of God. You see, at the end, verses 31 to 33, it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He, he saves him. And he says, you a little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You deserve our worship. 
Jesus Christ in this passage is shown to be the son of God divine to live out and even have control of the wind. And I want to share with you that what he can handle in your life is anything that you face. And even though Jesus was the son of God, the scriptures teach that you as a Christian, you share in his sonship or in some of your cases, daughtership. Romans 8.15, Paul writes, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. You no longer live as a slave of fear because you have received the gift, the free gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you know Jesus Christ and you have uh, uh, given your life to him, you've invited the Spirit of God into your life, he is with you. And it is not a spirit of fear. He writes in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When the Spirit of God is in your life, he can handle whatever it is that you're facing. In fact, it says that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father, that you can call the almighty God, the creators of the heaven and earth, your father. In fact, Abba there, a better translation, some would say is daddy. That's the type of relationship that we have. You remember when you were a kid and you get in an argument with some kid on the playground and it's like, oh yeah, well, my dad could take your dad right? You remember that? My dad could take you. You have almighty God that the scriptures teach you share as an adopted son or daughter in your corner. There is nothing that you can face. Your dad can take anybody's dad. If that's addiction, if that's brokenness, if that's marital troubles, if that's fear and loneliness, whatever it is that you are facing right now, you have the almighty God of the heavens and the earth as your good heavenly father. Your dad can take it. And just so you know the character of him, I want to close with our theme verse for this teaching series. Do not fear. You see, you can go all the way back to the Israelites in Isaiah chapter 41, where God had made a mighty nation out of this lowly people group initially. And it was because of the power of God in their life. But they faced some hardship and they were losing some things and there was poverty. And this was the message that God gave through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 41, verse 10. It says, so do not fear. Some of you need to hear this this morning. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13, for I am the Lord your God who takes a hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you, God says to you. Verse 17, the poor and the needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. And then he begins to describe some analogies of miracles that he is worthy and powerful enough to attain. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. This passage is actually named my son Jackson's middle name, Oliver, based off of the verse coming up. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Verse 13, I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia. You think large trees grow in the desert? Almighty God tells the Israelites, I created the earth in six days, and then I took a rest on the seventh just to show off so you know how powerful I am. He says, I will bring acacia trees in the desert. He says, I will uh, have cedar trees, the myrtle, and the olive. We named our son Jackson Oliver Mark. Olive trees don't grow in the desert. 
and you feel like you're all alone and you can't overcome what you're facing, you don't realize the God, the dad that you got on your side. He can handle it. He can take it. I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. He created you, he loves you, he has redeemed you, and he's in your corner, and he's willing to face whatever fear you have before you, and he's going to replace it with a peace that surpasses understanding because you have the perfect dad in your corner, and he can take it, and he can handle it. It just whether or not you're going to cry out like Peter did and say, save me. Save me, save me. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are real and that you are living and that you are active and that we can get out of the boat, that we can see you work in our lives, that you are sovereign today. But many of us, Christians and not this morning, we live and make our choices by fear. We got some stuff we're scared of right now and rather than be embarrassed about it, why don't we do what Peter did and cry out to you? If that's you here this morning and you consider yourself a Christian and you need to cry out to the Lord to help with whatever you're facing, you're scared of. We got some people right now, you're scared of death. That's natural. Some of you this morning, you're scared of your work. You're scared of your finances. You're scared of how to heal your relationships and your families. You're scared of what your kids are going to do and not going to do. But we do not live by a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit of God is in your life. Pray this with me. God, help me in my fear. I surrender it to you, and I cry out to you this morning, save me, my doubt, and my fear, and my anxiety. And then for some of you this morning, for the first time, you've begun to experience the love of your good daddy, your heavenly father, your Abba in this moment, and he's inviting you to come home and surrender your life fully to him. If that's you, I want you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I am not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I believe in your life, death, death, and resurrection, Jesus, and I surrender my life to you fully. Use me, Lord Jesus. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of you, God. We love you, and we praise you, and we give you this church. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. Amen.